I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. Spring is in the air. We are through the legislative session, save for veto day. The legislature has a little bit of work uh, left to wrap up uh, to consider any gubernatorial vetoes that may be forthcoming in the days ahead, as well as to um, return to their uh, very important work of consideration of um, impeachment of the attorney general uh, relating around a... um, uh, a car accident in which uh, a pedestrian sadly lost his life um, the the other year. So they're going to be returning to pier later in the month to take up uh, those issues. In the meantime, we are happy to be uh, returning to you with another episode of Faith and Politics. As I announced on this program last week, I am transitioning out of this work, which I have just been delighted to do for the last five legislative sessions, taking a job I'm really excited about serving as chief of staff for Bishop DeGroote and the Bishop of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, We'll be continuing on as an advisor to the South Dakota Catholic Conference for the foreseeable future. One of the, of course, important things that needs to happen is we need to hire a new director. So if you know somebody that's got a heart for the church, loves the Lord and loves the church, and also has got a real heart for their country, understands law and politics, and is uh, just really interested in that, one of the things that, um, going back six years now, that I came to realize about myself when I was practicing law in a small town, doing a lot of estate planning and elder law. I was going home at night and after the kids were in bed, I wasn't I wasn't reading books about how to be a better estate planner. Of course, I did want to be excellent in my profession, but I found myself reading the church's social doctrine and like reading, you know, encyclicals about uh, the church's moral teaching in the world. And this was like really strangely exciting for me. Um, and then I came to know like, ah, oh, maybe there's something else in store for me, which led me to the Catholic conference work, um, later in that year, as I said, really delightful for the last five years. So if you know somebody that's uh, like that, feel free, they can go to our website, sdcatholicconference.org and find a, a link to the job, share with loved ones. Um, we'll be looking forward to finding a great candidate to fill the position of executive director. Okay. So our episode today, we're going to, what's, what's the problem? We're going to talk about the problem of of evil. Returning uh, as a guest to this program um, has been a frequent contributor in the past, Dr. John Schaff, Professor of Government and Director of the Center for Public History and Civic Engagement at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Professor Schaff is the author of many fine books and articles. Um, We have had many great conversations on this program in the past, including on, I think maybe one of his, our first earlier conversations, a book he wrote called Abraham Lincoln's Statesmanship in the Limits of Liberal Democracy. Talk a little bit about Abraham Lincoln and Leo XIII's social doctrine. Um, also had conversations, great, great talks about um, City of God, Augustine. We're going to just mention a little bit of Augustine in our conversation today. Dr. Schaff, welcome back to Faith and Politics. Thanks for having me. I, don't, I think the last time I was on, didn't we talk about just war theory? We did. I think that was the last time. That's in the news these days. That is. And I was just. <laughs> so people could go back and find that one on, I, the, uh, on the podcast I'm uh, gonna, site. That's a great point. I'm going to maybe throw that one up on our Twitter too, so people can find it a little bit uh, quicker. If you're on Twitter, you can find it us at SD Catholic Con. And uh, I'll throw a link. That is a, that'd be a great one to return to. Um, yeah. So we've uh, a lot of great topics. Uh, th- when you threw this one out, um, you know, problem of evil. 
my mm-hmm. my first reaction was like, yes, let's talk about that because this is like one of those basic problems that just sort of resounds in every human heart at some point in a person's life. You know, maybe you've suffered um, violence at the hands of another. Of course, that's um, or just um, you know suffering uh, the loss of love. So many different ways in which this can come up in a human heart. Um, and of course, because it's a, a human problem, we could in, in many ways describe it as a political uh, problem too. So a very apt, uh, appropriate topic for faith and politics. So maybe just uh, um, to get us started, uh, Dr. Schaff, what's the problem? What's the problem of evil? So the problem of evil is this, sometimes known as the problem of theodicy, God's justice, Theo, God, DK, justice. There's your Greek lesson for the day. Mm. Uh, don't don't poke me too much on that because I've I've almost exhausted my knowledge of ancient Greek right there. Ah. Uh, but but God, how how can there be a just God in a world with evil? How do we reconcile evil uh, with God's justice? And the basic problem is this: is that if there is a God who is all powerful, all knowing, and all good. Why is there evil in the world? Wouldn't an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God, no omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent God, create a world without suffering? Mm. We look out in the world. We existentially know that there is suffering. How how do we reconcile those two things? So even though in in the Summa, when Thomas is considering arguments against God's existence. He actually says the only argument that he takes really seriously is this argument. Um, it is the kind of thing that sort of uh, can rock people's faith that, that uh, either there is a God or at least a God as the church understands God, right? It undermines our faith in that God, because how can I reconcile this God who we say God is love? God is omnipotent. God, God is uh, all powerful. God is all knowing. How can I reconcile with this, with right. all the suffering I see around me, both natural suffering and human cruelty, uh, these sorts of things. So how do we reconcile those, those things? Yeah. And it seems to me too, that, I mean, you mentioned Aquinas as recognizing this is a, this is a, a stronger argument. He's taking it seriously. Um, even today, atheists, this will this will be an argument that they advance that you'll hear from, mm-hmm. you know, the the atheists that are out there in the internet, social media, et cetera. So it's um, it's certainly it's out there. Yes, uh, it's not a new problem, and it's not a it's not a question that's going away either. So, um, you know, one of the important aspects, or kind of historically, we've you know we've talked about Augustine in the past. Um, mm-hmm. Back to the the city of God earlier. And I think this is episode 14 and 19. I just looked it up. We did a two part series. If anybody wants to go back and listen to it. So uh, during Augustine's time, there were these people, this, this, this group of um, thinkers, believers, a a sect, the the Manichaeans, if Mm -hmm. I remember uh, right. And they had some very particular thoughts about, about good and evil. They understood evil in a particular way. Can you unpack that for us? Sure. And uh, the, 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 text you'd want to go to on this is is not really city of god but you'd want to go to confessions wouldn't you sure uh because in um in augustine's confessions um which is the story of augustine's conversion augustine was a manichaean yeah. uh at one point it's sort of his his first step from unbelief to belief 
is into the Manichaean sect. Um, and so within Augustine's confessions, he has this discourse on what is the nature of evil. And so the Manichaean heresy um, is that there are these two competing forces in the cosmos. There is good and there is evil. And evil is sort of the separate entity that has a force of its own. And so there's this, this light and dark, good and evil that are in combat with itself. Even we use the term sometimes if a person has a Manichaean outlook yeah. uh, on things. It, it's someone who sees the world in black and white. It is, there is good and there is evil uh, and never the twain shall meet. Um, and so what, what Augustine starts to realize as he starts to break away from the Manichaeans and he gets drawn into the church for various reasons, not, not worth going into now, but under, under the, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, under, under the influence of, 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 of Ambrose, he's, he's pulled into the church. He starts to realize that no, it, if God is good, all of creation is good. Yes. There is no separate thing, separate force, separate entity uh, called evil. And so what is evil? Evil, he starts, starts to, 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 to believe, is, is not a thing in of itself, but a privation of the good. It's the absence of the good. So evil in this sense is a lacking. It's an absence, right? Not a thing of an, in and of itself, right? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you've used this word force. I mean, can we do pop culture for a minute? Is this, sure. is this it, w- w- Star Wars? You know, we've got the dark side. Is, uh, is, is the, presenta- to it. Is the presentation yeah. of, of these competing forces, if you will, um, is, is it have a bit of a Manichaean outlook? Yeah. And so, I mean, how do we resolve this? If people can look up um, somewhere out there, uh, the, the great Peter Kraft, the philosopher Peter Kraft, remember it, it, it's pronounced Kraft, but it looks like Kreeft if you're looking for it. Yeah. K-R-E-E-F-T. Yes. As uh, a talk, I'm sure people can find it on YouTube or on, he's got a, a, I think an iTunes channel. You can find his podcasts. A lot of his talks are in podcast form. He's got uh, one on the philosophy of Star Wars. Okay. Um, and what he points out, one way to deal with the problem of evil is kind of the Buddhist way, uh, kind of an Eastern way, which is to say evil isn't real, that you know, the entire material world is really a fantasy. Uh, and so um, uh, the way we escape this is through meditation. We come to realize that we are all participating in Atman, Brahman, whatever you want to call the, that we are all God yeah. and that um what evil is is the distance between our desires right all these worldly desires and the reality that we that all this is an illusion and that brings about suffering uh you see some of that in star wars actually um uh, let go uh as obi-wan whispers uh in uh, luke's ear as he's about to destroy uh the death star uh maybe this reveals too much star wars geekdom on my part i don't know um (laughs) that I, i can quote lines uh but anyhow uh, but then also this idea that there's, yeah, there's a dark side and uh, a, a light side of the force, right? And that they are in, in, in competition with each other, almost like a zero-sum game. As, as one grows, the other must retreat and, and vice versa. Uh, and there is, you know, there's some element of truth uh, in this and that we all, you know, Scholz and Eatson's line of 
um, the line between good and evil goes down the line of every man's soul. Um, so there's some truth to that, but this idea, I mean, with the force, if there is a dark side to the force, there is this thing. But what, what, what Augustine's saying is, is no, uh, evil is, is not a force. It's not an entity. It's not this thing in and of itself. You know, and the way to explain this, I'm not, I'll, I'll steal um, gratuitously from uh, a Benedictine philosopher, um, Herbert McCabe. Uh, this is how he describes. He's got these, what, what I like about McCabe on this is that he's got these very homey examples that really drives it home. He thinks about what well, he says, well, what makes a good deck chair? Right. And we can all think about what makes a good deck chair. And yeah. it'll be different. You know, I want it to recline. I need a cup holder. I like mine to be cushioned. Yeah. Right. I need a footrest. Right. These sorts of things. And then we think about what makes a back, bad deck chair is we start talking about things that are lacking yeah. in the deck chair. Even though what makes a grape a good grape? Oh, I want it to be crisp, but not dried out. I want it to be, I want it to be juicy. I, I, uh, you know, I, I don't want it to be mushy. When we start talking about bad grapes, it's things, things the grape is lacking, right? It's lacking so have, in sweetness. Yes, it's lacking in sweetness. We, oh, people don't like it when your grapes get old and they get a little mushy, right? Yeah. We don't like that consistency, right? It's lacking in crispness. Yeah. And so, so um, what makes a good grape and a good deck chair are not the same thing. Right. Good, good grapes and good deck chairs. aren't So but there is an idea of goodness. But there's also um, when we talk about what what is what makes a bad deck chair and a bad grape is something is missing. Right. Yeah. And that's a way of getting at this idea that that when <clears throat> evil is occurring, it's not that evil is a thing in and of itself, but it is absence of good qualities. Yeah. Right. We're failing to live up. And what's coming to mind for me right now is uh, Lucifer's fall from heaven following his creation mm -hmm. within the sort of classical um, tradition, his, his words as he fell were non servium, I will not serve. Mm -hmm. So maybe in that way, what we can understand is what is lacking is his allegiance to God, his, his willingness to serve God. Yep. Um, so what, in, what, in, in, in Milton, uh, in Milton's Paradise Lost, what does he say about Lucifer? He would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. Yes. Uh, and I, I guess he gets his just rewards for that attitude. So. So, so just to recap that point is we we can't really understand evil as its own independent force with its own essence. What it is, it's it's an absence of the good. It's an absence so in other words, of a positive it's, it's, quality. It's not something that God created. Yeah. Right? Ah. God didn't create this thing called evil or it doesn't come from some other thing like yeah. there's some other God out there, yep. uh, an evil God who is creating evil. What God created was all good. Um, and so when we experience um, uh, evil after the fall, right now, there are there are deprivations. There are deprivations from the good. And some of those are, are natural deprivations. You know, why are there earthquakes? Why does lightning strike sometimes? Why do you know, why do lions eat gazelles, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's moral evil. Yes. Right? So why is there natural? Why do some people get cancer? That's a natural evil. Yes. Um, and then, uh, there, then there's moral evil. Why do, why do people do bad things? Why is there cruelty in the world? Uh, and so those are, those are two different kinds of evils that we might want to, might want to discuss. Can we, can we take a quick, um, diversion into Protestant theology? Sure. And if you, if you're not, sure. So I, I have in my mind that there's one of the Protestant reformers, 
I don't know if it was Calvin or Luther or who, but it has this description of, of humans as sort of the dunghill that through God's mm-hmm. grace covered with snow. Can we actually also say that this is an incorrect understanding of, of God's creation of human beings? If they're describing us as, um, even in our fallen nature, describing us as, as a dunghill, is that an incorrect? Any comment well, certainly, there? Yeah, there's, yeah. um, uh, original sin does separates us from God. Yes. Right. Correct. But God's creation is good. Right. And so we are not completely separated from, from God's goodness, right? Uh, we are created good. It is good that God created us. And uh, that's why we're redeemable. Why does God want to want to redeem us? Yes. And so we still have this capacity in us to know God, to know the good, the true, the beautiful. Um, and so there's not this um, uh, total depravity uh, as some re- reformers uh, would have had it that there's still something there that I can, I can, there's enough goodness left in me that I can know God and know my, know my, recognize my sinfulness and recognize the goodness of the world around me. Even, even the natural world can be something that gives me an indication that there is, that there is goodness. Uh, And I have to, there's enough left in me that I can recognize that enough goodness left in me that I can recognize that. Gotcha. Okay. So, Stepping back into this distinction between a natural evil and a moral mm-hmm. evil. So natural evil would be like the tornado which destroyed my house and caused much suffering in my life. The moral evil being um, there was a betrayal within a marriage and great suffering that results of you know from infidelity. We could think of many different examples. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know I I think for many people today it's maybe. You know, we see a link of suffering between these two, but I, is it just me? Do we have a hard time describing a tornado as evil? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it just sort of happens. What's the, what's, what's the link between these two? And help, help me understand both of these a little bit more. Well, okay, I think even think about natural evils like COVID is yeah. a natural it's not good. Um, it's something that happens and it's, and it's bad, right? People get COVID. Some people die of COVID, right? That's bad. Any illness is that way. Yeah. Um, so we think of why does this four-year-old have leukemia? Yeah. Um, why is that now here? There, there are two ways to approach this. Um, even think of something like, you know, disease. Um, when someone gets cancer, um, the cancer is actually doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, so in that sense, it's good for the cancer. Uh, it's bad for you. Same as, you know, when the lion eats the gazelle, good for the lion, bad for the gazelle. Yeah. Um, part of this is the consequence of living in a material world. Again, I think this is probably the, the Buddhist error is to try to say that the, the material world is an illusion, is yeah. a fantasy. Yeah. But no, the material world is here and the nature of a material world is decay. Yeah. Uh, is to, um, you know, it's even, you know, it's law of thermodynamics. Entropy is, is to tend towards disorder. Yes. And so nothing in a material world is going to last forever. So to a certain extent to say, we don't like what I, what I'm calling natural evil is to say, I don't like a material world. Yes. Right. It just sort of goes along with having a material, a, a body, uh, 
other life life forms in uh, in the world have to live. Um, and in this sense, doing what has to be done, um, some life forms will eat other life forms, right? That's just part of the natural world. The world decays, earthquakes occur, trees fall over, right? There are natural forces. Yes. And this is just sort of the price we pay uh, for living in a, in a material world. Um, and God might allow some of these uh, natural evils, we're calling it, uh, because it gives um, a chance for improvement. It gives a chance for compassion. It gives a chance for uh, an opportunity for charity. Um, uh, think of what we have to do with a sick and dying person. This is an opportunity for love to manifest itself. Yep. And so maybe God might allow these things. Um, um, and so that, I think, is in a way is a little bit easier for us to understand uh, just because got price of a natural world, this, this is the way it is, is things decay, things fall apart. There are natural forces. Yes. Even tornadoes are a result of natural forces um, uh, that in and of themselves are, are, are not evil, but they bring about for us evil things. Yes. Um, this is a material world. Maybe harder to understand is why is there cruelty? Why is there, you know, there's, there's one... Um, uh, a philosopher, not a Catholic philosopher. In fact, I think he's Anglican. He's, he's certainly English, Richard Swinburne, who, who, who posed the question, oh, God might allow you know, a, a brother to pick on his little brother, but why would he allow Belson, you know, one, of the, one of the death camps uh, in, the, in the Second World War, one of the Nazi death camps, why would God allow that? And that, I think, is probably a, a, a tougher nut to crack, but we can we can talk about that because I have I have comments on that. I have yeah, thoughts on what that. What is the answer? What, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's the crux of the matter. Like, why does God allow that? Yeah. Well, I, I think there 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 are two things to look at. <clears throat> One is, of course, God creates you know all sorts of laws, uh, all sorts of uh, you know, commandments for us, and and why does God do this? Right. God does this because God loves us. And so he says, uh, even um, uh, we, we saw this, I think, in this, this past Sunday's uh, readings, right? What, what does God say to Abraham, right? You be my people, right? right? And I will be your God, right? So I will give you these rules, or he says to Moses, here are these rules um, uh, to live by, right? These are good. If, if God really does love us, then when God says, much like you know, when you tell your kid to you know, clean your room, it's good. It's good to clean your room. Right. Now, your kid might perceive your commandment to clean your room as a kind of oppression. This is true. Right? Uh, as this is a burden on me. Uh, but this is a sign not of your malevolence, but uh, a fault in your child. I will blame the child <laughs> on this one. Um, but because the child fails to see that this is actually... A, a loving commandment on your part because there's all sorts of goods that come from cleaning your room from a having a clean room the lesson of responsibility you made a mess you clean it up etc we can all think of all sorts of good things that come from just simply teaching a kid to clean his or her room um so this is an act of love so when god says you know do this don't do that uh i don't know about you but i often perceive those as burdens um and sometimes i just ignore god uh, and I do what I want to do because I don't like those burdens. 
but that's my problem. That's not God's problem. That's yeah. my failure to live up to my expectations. Yeah. So even if I can go back to, to the, the Benedictine Herbert McCabe, what his example is, someone, and this will be live for us because of the COVID thing, someone has a, a virus, an illness, and they get on an airplane. They don't know they have this illness and they spread the illness all over the airplane. Yep. Is that person morally to blame? No. We would say no, because they didn't know at the time that they had this illness. What about if I knew I had the illness yeah. and that it was highly contagious and I got on the airplane? Now am I morally culpable? And most of us would say yes, because you knew you were likely to get people sick. Um and you did it anyway. What if it's like a COVID? What if it's something that's a very serious illness? And I go and it's not, I don't have a sniffle. I have a serious illness and I wantonly spread it. Now I'm morally culpable. And McCabe's point is that in both cases, the outcome is the same. Yeah. You are getting people sick. And maybe let's even say you're killing people uh, from your failure. You know, you're getting on the airplane. People end up dead because you get up on the airplane and you spread you know, some terrible illness. Yeah. The outcome is the same, but the moral culpability isn't. Why? Because the real victim in this sense of sin is yourself. Yeah. When I do something like I'm getting on the airplane, even though I know I've got this terrible illness that are, that's going to kill people, that's me failing to live up to God's expectations of me. That's a privation. Yeah. God has told me what to do, and I refuse to do it. And that is not God's fault that I don't live up to God's expectations of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. God's made it clear what I'm supposed to do. Even the natural law written on the heart, you, uh, most of the moral law, you don't even need to, to, to believe in God. And you would, you would know these things uh, through, through reason. You can, you can get to a lot of the moral law um, from the natural law. Is, is um, so you should you should know these things. So this is your failure to live up to expectations. Is is it, uh, not God's fault? Is there an answer to the question um, in terms of the natural? I mean, like a tornado. None of us have a hand in a tornado, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what? How do we? How do we answer that question? All right. Well, again, let me let's go back to this. And I think the parent analogy is helpful. Oftentimes, what we do is we look at you know, we look at God the Father. And we think of what God the Father is based on what human fathers do. Yeah. Probably what we should do is look at that in the opposite, right? That earthly fathers are a mirror of a, of a godly father, yes. right? And then let's broaden out to say earthly parenthood. Yes. Um, oftentimes, uh, parents will let their children suffer for some greater good. Yeah. Um, you might allow your kid to enter into something that you think they're likely to fail yeah, because you think it's better for them or uh, maybe something where they're even there's a, there's a risk. They might get hurt. Some they're going to go on a hike. They're going to athletic event and yeah. they might get hurt and you allow them to do that. And there's all sorts of reasons why we do that. Um, and maybe God, the father allows certain things to happen um, uh, through his, uh, not as active will, but permissive will. God could stop the the uh, uh, the, the the tornado, but He permits it anyway. Uh, but it gives opportunity for other goods. I want to break right? just r- real quick, Professor. Sure. If you're listening on the radio, uh, you can we can finish this conversation 
on our podcast. You can go to your favorite podcast app and catch the rest of our conversation. Until next time, live well. And back to our podcast listeners. We're going to finish our conversation because we're right in the middle of an important mm-hmm. point here. So go yep. go ahead and finish this one out, Professor. Well, I was just going to say is that for in various ways, we can analogize <laughs> from the way that parents, uh, we often punish our children. Uh, we put burdens on our children, what uh, what Augustine calls uh, what uh, uh, bene- uh, benevolent uh, corrections, right? Even think of with my students, uh, how much would my students do if I never tested them, yeah, would they read the work? Would they study anything? Some of them would, but honestly, most of us, we can even think back to our student days. Yeah. I probably would have slacked a little bit. Yeah. If I knew the teacher said, no matter what, I'm going to get an A and you don't have to study anything. and I'm never going to test you. Uh, so testing is a kind of pain. Yes. Um, but it's, it's a benevolent pain. It's a benevolent harshness actually is, is Augustine's term benevolent harshness. Uh, so, Maybe there are certain tests, certain what we think of as evils, as burdens that God allows to happen uh, because it is building certain virtues in us, um, because maybe um, to give us incentive to uh, improve the world, uh, maybe to uh, take responsibility, right? Maybe a world without any evil would be a world without responsibility, and maybe that's not much of a, a world, uh, not one for for free people made in God's image. Maybe mm. that's not much of a world. You know, we're not robots, um, so we you know, we're allowed freedom and freedom to do good. Um, uh, also, you know, there are limits to pain. Yeah, there is actually only so much pain that human beings can endure, and that limit is death. Yes, um, at some point we will die. Um, and so God does put a limit on how much pain we're going to suffer. Just sometimes God's line is different from our line, uh, what we would like. And if, and if that's, if we have a problem with that, that problem is on our side, yeah. uh, not on God's side. If and obviously you would want to, you know, go to your book of Job, which you probably should have referenced earlier, uh, the, the, the great discourse on evil yes. is the book of Job. And how does Job conclude? Uh, who are you, Job, uh, to, to, to question me? I am, I am God. And God maybe draws the line in a different place than we would like to. But there is actually a limit to how much suffering a human person can take as you will uh, eventually, eventually die. And so for all these reasons, God might allow all sorts of evils as opportunities for responsibility, opportunities for compassion, um, to allow for a, a free creature to, to, to exercise that will and to show love. Uh, so there's all sorts of reasons why God might, through permissive will, allow these things uh, to occur. Well, and what I'm thinking of is you're kind of sharing all these di- different reasons, too, is that God, his end for us is eternity. You know, sometimes so we can think about, uh, you know, the world coming crashing down with a particular evil or suffering but when this, when our life is over here on this earth, uh, life isn't over in a certain sense. That mm-hmm. that God's horizon is an eternal horizon, and that's that's what He's aiming for for us. Well, let's bring because we're in Lenten season, so this is a good lesson for Lenten season. And so, you know, we all know what is the priest say. I guess there's a couple lines a priest can say to you as you get the ashes on your forehead, but the the typical one is remember that you are ashes and to ashes you shall return. And so this is, this is 
a reminder to us, which we sometimes forget that we are going to die. Yes. Um, and so in this sense, um, a certain amount of suffering is part of life. And I think one of the reasons that we have trouble dealing with this, and I, I think you and I have talked about this in some ways before, but one of the reasons that, that especially in our time, we have trouble dealing with evil and suffering yeah. is because it's, it's actually so uncommon. Yeah. Um, we have so many ways of avoiding these things. It's not, you know, death is not as common, especially, you know, uh, even uh, I'll pick a random day, 150 years ago, you know, death of a child would be a relatively common thing. You certainly at a certain age would have known a child who died. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, people died younger. Uh, obviously, living with physical pain yes. was quite was quite common. Right. The idea of, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about the modern world is dentistry. Yes. Um, so you know, even oh, 120 years ago, your typical person would have either, you know, at, at, at Chris's age and my age, as I am at middle age and Chris, Chris is rapidly approaching uh, middle <laughs> age, um, you know, you get to our age, you would have one of two things. You would have either be living in constant mouth pain or you would have had no teeth because how do you deal with, with tooth pain? Take them out. Yank it out. Yank yeah. it out. It's the, it's the only option is to yank it out. Uh, and that's what, you're, that's what you're left with. So we have great dentistry. We have antibiotics. Uh, we have anesthesia. Nobody we dies got, from appendicitis anymore. Yeah, exactly. What's, you know, yeah. uh, I was just relating this to my students uh, last week is how many of you worry about polio? Right. I know people, and maybe you do too, Chris, that are old enough to remember. Uh, they say, oh, here in South Dakota, don't go swimming in the lake in August. Oh. Because that's when the polio uh, um, bacteria is most prevalent in the hot weather in these sort of tepid uh, yeah. lakes, right? They're, they're the, what, what, they don't yeah. move. What's, what's the word? I've, I've lost the word. Not tepid. But stagnant. You know, yeah, yeah. Stagnant. That's right, what I'm right. thinking of. These, stag- they're, they're, they're these non-movable waters. And yeah. so you don't go swimming in the lake or in the slough in, in August because that's when you get polio. Yeah. Nobody thinks about that. Say so, and this is a good thing. But my, the the only point is, is that, is that I think these are all good things that put me down as pro dentistry, pro antibiotic, <laughs> pro anesthesia, uh, pro vaccination. Without, I don't want to get into politics of in general. Uh, pro vaccination. I like the polio vaccine. I'm all for it. Um, but it breathe, it brings about a mentality that we have is that everything comes relatively easy. Yeah. Right. Um, what's the biggest health problem in America today? Uh, that we're fat and overweight heart disease, (laughs) right? This is, this is not the diabetes, right? Right. Uh, this, this is not the problem that, uh, that people had, uh, well, even 50 years ago, this was, this was not the problem is we eat too much. We're overweight. We don't do enough. And so it's easy for suffering to be abstract from us. And when there is suffering, uh, surely there's a pill. I can take, right? Or uh, there, there's an app for this, right? Isn't there an app uh, for this suffering? Uh, there's something on my phone that can solve this problem for me. There's got to be some technical solution to every problem. And maybe there isn't. Maybe we just sort of have to live with the fact, and I think that not maybe, it is, yes. that suffering is, is part of life and part of being a mature Christian is coming to grips with that. Uh, and I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's, this, it's harder for us in the 21st century 
because it's so easy for us to, to point to technical solutions that have uh, alleviated a lot of suffering that would have been common uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago um, that, that now are easily, um, easily dealt with. So I think uh, that, that we have to think harder and maybe that, that, that sign of the cross on our foreheads on Ash Wednesday is even more prescient for us to remind ourselves that suffering is part of life. Amen. And that's really, I think, the gift of faith, because at some point we're all going to have that realization that we can't technology our way out of every suffering. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the gift of faith. We, you know, approach a priest, approach a brother or sister Christian, just in a spirit of like, you know, I've got this struggle. And that's where the faith really can just um, illuminate the experience of suffering and bring out a greater good yeah. from it. It just maybe I don't know, maybe this is the last point uh, we should make, but, but you know, I, I, I you know, look at the world today. I look at young people today, of which you know I'm I'm around young people all the time. You know, I think you and I have talked about this before, Chris. Is that the number one problem for our young people today? The number one suffering is not physical suffering. Yes, it's spiritual suffering. That's Their right. physical needs are by and large taken care of. We all know there are obvious exceptions to that, but on the whole, f- materially and physically, our young people want for virtually nothing. That's right. Um, what they have is spiritual uh, suffering. And so uh, looking for technical solutions, their problems hasn't satisfied them. Yes. And so this is, this is what happens when, when we lose this, the, the, the great thing about remember you are dust into dust you shall return. It's supposed to sober us up yep. um, and say, you need to focus on first things. Yes. Right? And that first thing is you are going to die What's going to happen to you when you die? Uh, are you right with the Lord, as they used to say? Um, have you have you paid attention to the most important things? And so, as we encounter suffering in the world, which I've, I tried to articulate that it's 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 not God's fault. Yep. It's it, moral evil. It's our fault. Yes. Natural evil is simply part of living in a natural material world. Yep. But this allows us a way, uh, it's, it's an avenue to God. It's a way of even, you know, when I'm hungry, my stomach hurts. Yes. And it, and it does that to tell me to do a good thing, eat, right? When I'm sleepy, I get, you know, I have this physical manifestation. Oh, I'm sleepy because it's, it's telling me, do a good thing, go to sleep. Right. When my tooth hurts, it's telling me, go to the dentist. If I'm feeling spiritual pain, it's telling me something, yes. right? Or really any kind of pain is telling you something that physical pain is telling you you're going to die. Um, so maybe you need to think about eternal life. Spiritual pain is telling us or what we know, psychological pain, if you want to use a more therapeutic term, but I, I prefer spiritual pain um, and, and spiritual anxiety is telling you, you need to get something right uh, in your life and you need to direct yourself towards something other than you know, is there, you know, maybe if I just made more money, maybe, yeah. maybe if my doctor gave me a pill and you know, sometimes those do work and, and maybe if I have this app on my phone, uh, that will solve this problem. But ultimately the phone, the money, the pills are not going to solve our, our most important problems. And that is the problem of evil. Dr. Yeah. John Schaff, thank you for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me, Chris. And thank you as always, dear listeners, for tuning in. Love to hear feedback, sdcatholicconference.org. You can click 
contact us, drop us a line. Until next time, live well. Live well.